I think something that people are thinking about, and myself as well, like there's been this just looming conversation about the market where the market's going to crash. Like people, it's just kind of been in the collective where people talk about it. People are kind of waiting for it, waiting for it to shift. So what are your thoughts on that? And like, what would you say? Because I've even thought, I'm like, do I want to invest all of this money that I have in my checking into something that could change? Like, what do you say to that? I say that you're losing money in your checking account right now. So inflation typically grows at 3%. And inflation is only, you know, what stuff is going to cost you tomorrow costs more than what it cost you yesterday. So like how much was it to get into a movie when we were kids? Mm -hmm. Five bucks. Right. 28 bucks now. It's crazy. And I left after five minutes. It's gross. Yeah, I don't like to go to movies. Same. Try to see The Matrix. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) So bad. And that's not even with candy and all the fun stuff. We brought smart sweets. So it's better. (laughs) But if you transport baby Krista, she's not getting into a movie. And so that's all inflation is. And so if you're putting your money in in your checking account, Krista, like what are you getting? Do you know the percentage of interest? 0.003. Point zero zero three. Exactly. I just made that up. Yeah, but it's it's probably it's right. low. It's mm-hmm. super super low. And so, so by true. leaving it there and just getting a little baby bit, you're losing money and you're losing your purchasing power mm-hmm. over time. So that's why you don't want to keep more. I don't even think your entire emergency fund in your checking account. But yeah, a lot of women do that. They keep their money in a checking account because of fear. Women are more scared and risk averse than men. That just is what it is. And we have to talk about it. We have to deal with it. But you're not alone in wanting to do that. And what I would say to market crashing is that we have recovered in U.S. history from every single recession and depression we've ever had. This is what the markets do. You know, markets go up, markets go down. You don't get off in the middle of a roller coaster. You sign up, you take the ride, buy the ticket, take the ride, take the blinders on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, good to know. Have you noticed any trends, I guess, that would indicate anything predictive? Like, are there any trends like with inflation matched with the real estate market or something? Like, is there anything that you're sort of looking out for where you're like, huh, this seems a little worrisome? The most worrisome factors to the equity markets or the stock markets are geopolitical shocks and black swan events. And that's just what economist people call events that you can't account for and things that aren't measured like unemployment rates, which are lagging indicators or inflation or other metrics like, um, you know, consumer prices or whatever economists are looking at to predict. A random, you know, terrorist attack or something like that is going to fuck up the markets more than studying all of these other Mm. economic indicators. And so, you know, the war, that's why you're seeing a lot of issues with the market for the war yeah. in Ukraine because markets hate uncertainty. We saw this for the presidential election. Markets didn't care like who the president was. They just wanted a president. And so markets respond mm-hmm. the best that way. But again, if you're doing long-term investing and you're doing something called dollar cost averaging, which is basically putting in little bits of money, Uh, at consistent intervals, like I was mentioning, you can do with direct deposit, then you are accounting for the general levels for that period of time. So you're not worried about buying high or buying low. You know, the one adage and truism on Wall Street is buy low, sell high. The problem is that we don't know when the high is and we don't know when the low is. So dollar cost averaging, like for easy math, let's say you had 
$12,000, you would put, instead of $12,000 in the market one day, you would put 100 bucks or 1000 bucks mm-hmm. a month. Mm-hmm. And so you would, you know, basically get the average of what those 12 months did instead of, you know, hoping that you were doing it on the best day. Mm-hmm. So if you put 12000 in in one large sum, you wouldn't have the benefit of the compound interest that you would get by doing 1000 over 12 months, right? Or no? No, you would more just risk buying at uh, a super low of where the market level is. So, you know, let's say the market is at uh, twenty thousand mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, then over the year, it could go up to twenty one thousand. It could go down to eighteen thousand. So that's what mm-hmm. markets do; they mm-hmm. jump around. And so, on that specific day that you're going to put that money in, you don't know mm. in the range because you don't have the benefit of the perspective yeah. of the whole year to know when to jump in. Got so it. that's why instead, uh, I would put uh, more money in more frequently Mm -hmm. so that you're hedging for the fluctuations of where you're buying in. Okay. Okay. Got it. I think there's an energetic too with that where you're like continuing to put more, like continuously investing in anything, whether you're working out in a relationship or, you know, you're kind of continuing to nod to that as like an important part of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, you know, the automation is so important because I feel like we have especially we as women have so many things that we have to like manage, think about. But I just feel like the automation creates space in the brain, less stress around money in my experience. So I'm curious, like if people want to set goals, how how much goal setting is healthy? How do you recommend that people set goals? Because I, I do find inspiration and motivation when I set financial goals, but sometimes I get overwhelmed. So is it the big goals? Is it the small goals? How do you approach financial goals? I like to break them down into one, three, five, seven, ten-year increments. So in Rich Bitch, I talked about the three E's. So essentials, end game, and extras, where 70% of what you're making goes to your food, your housing, your transportation, all that. And then 15% to the fun stuff, the extras, and then 15% to the end game. So Miss Independent really zones in and double clicks on the end game part and says, okay, well, here's what you do with that amount. But goals have price tags. So I do love a good reverse engineer to figure out what you want and then figure out how to get the money to live that life. And also realize that some of the things are not as expensive or out of reach as you think when you finally tally it up. So if you want a private plane, like even go to the most extreme, or if you want a helicopter or whatever, and you think I could never get that? Well, really ask yourself, like, do you want a helicopter twice a year? Do you, Are you really going to use it? Could you mm. rent it? And if so, let's break that down into small increments and figure out how to get that. So figuring out the spirit of what you want and then figuring out the financials to get to that spirit is really important versus saying like, I just want a million dollars. Cool. What mm-hmm. are you going to do with that million dollars? I don't know. Maybe you need more. Maybe you need less. So first, figure out the life you want. And I think that for me, one, three, five, seven, ten, your goals is really helpful mm-hmm. um, because it's not you know too far out, and it's it's like Goldilocks of of goals. And I will say for Krista, what you said about you know the consistency and the energetic nature of doing it regularly or having a routine about putting in money. I think a lot of the 
um, practices that we use for our emotional health can apply for our financial health too. And our financial health is a huge part of our overall well-being and our overall health. So even if you think about gratitude journaling next to the thing that you're doing every day, like maybe you do a financial gratitude journal and maybe you're grateful for those financial things. And maybe you, you know, you're incorporating it into other practices that you already have because you're right, you know, consistency is is the most powerful mm-hmm. in in any of these wellness areas. Thank you so much for tuning in to Morning Microdose by Almost 30. We hope you enjoyed waking up. As always, we encourage you to take what resonates and leave the rest. If you enjoyed this trip, tune into the full episode on the Almost 30 podcast. All episode information can be found in the show notes. Make sure to subscribe. And if this becomes a part of your morning routine, be sure to share it with a friend. We have new inspiring doses Monday through Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Morning Microdose and follow Almost 30 at Almost 30 Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the vortex.